Welcome to Hacking the Truth. I'm your host, James Trinkle Clements. For centuries, humanity has pondered the question of does Bigfoot exist? Sightings are reported all over the globe, but is this elusive creature fact or fiction? Like you, I want to know. So I started my search at the Bigfoot Expedition Experience in Blue Ridge, Georgia. As you enter, a sign reads, you may enter a non-believer, but you will leave a believer. Will you? Let's go hacking the truth. I'm here with David Becerra, and David, we came to Expedition Bigfoot, I say we. Uh, Susan's with me today, and we found it so fascinating last year. And I said, I've got to find out who owns this, because number one, I'm a believer, but whoever put this together, I want to know where they got the information, where they got the artifacts, how they became interested. So I kind of turn that over to you and if you'd just give us a background. Sure. So um, I grew up in South Florida back in the 60s and 70s. And um, ever since I was growing up, I'd heard about Tales of the Skunk Ape on the TV, on newscasts and the newspaper. I'd seen great documentaries produced in the early 70s. So as my young mind was, was strongly impressed upon the seriousness of these unusual apes being spotted you know, in Florida. So it was never a laughing matter to me. And uh, then I went to go see The Legend of Boggy Creek, probably the cult oh, classic. Yeah. That is a um, classic. Yep. And of course, it's the tagline is, is a true story. And uh, the more I learn about the movie, in fact, everything in that movie did happen. Um, and more, much, much yes. more. And, uh, and so I was hooked after I saw that movie. And we moved up here about five years ago, maybe six years ago. So we're in, we're right between Blue Ridge, Georgia and LJ, Georgia in a little town called Cherry Log. We're right on the main highway, 515. It's also uh, Zell Miller Highway. But uh, our mailing address is Blue Ridge, Georgia. So we're right on the main highway. And um, we noticed that um, I was back in the restaurant business, but I've been an investigator, part-time investigator with the Bigfoot Field Research Organization since 2010. But I've been reading and researching this since I was 12. Wow. And uh, we just noticed there was a real lack of family entertainment up here. It's something that was suitable for grandma, grandpa, their kids, and their grandkids to all come together. Um, so we kind of we just thought about making a family attraction from all we knew about Bigfoot. Of course, all my friends are Bigfoot researchers or witnesses so there was no shortage of artifacts i had quite a few already but not enough to fill the museum so once i put the word out that i was opening up a museum i got all kinds of calls and artifacts and foot, foot casts and videos and i got a lot of uh, got a lot of donations to the museums because we do have lots of footprints here but i try not to make up such a big deal about them yeah. other than the georgia footprint which was authenticated by the fbi fingerprint expert because there's so much more than just the footprints. Yeah. So we have the world's largest collection on permanent display here, but there, um, there's so much more. We have hair samples and videos of, of uh, gentlemen talking about their uh, encounters with Bigfoots while they were hunting and Yeti exhibits. So I knew that when you open up this place, we, my wife and I are huge Disney World and Universal Studio yeah. fans. and. And we appreciate the kind of effort it takes to capture kids' attention. And uh, so we kind of mixed the theme park with the museum because you can't just put a bunch of posters on the wall uh, and think you're going to entertain kids. There has to be sound and movement and, uh, you know, more to stimulate the brain. 
So uh, that's how we kind of mix it all together. So what are the hot spots? You mentioned Florida is number yeah. three. Yep. So the hot spots of Florida would be uh, the Panhandle of Florida, uh, anywhere around Tallahassee area, that in Tallahassee. I'll go to Apalachicola a lot. I should start looking. Yeah. Oh, there's plenty of sightings up there. Okay. Uh, I have a guy that comes here actually. He's he, he knows where a family of them live at, at, near just outside Apalachicola, and. Um, uh, the TV crews try to get his information. I told him to keep his mouth shut. You don't need to drag a f- They'll ruin it for you. Oh, they will. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Ocala area. Oh, my God. There's so many great stories there. So if anybody was ever going to look for a big... National Forest. Yeah, all no there. Yep. I used to camp there. Yep. <laughs> Lots of great stories there. And uh, Collier County. Yeah. Uh, near the Everglades. I would say that those would be the top well, three sense. places. To, yeah. So California and Washington are the two... Oh, okay highest uh, reported sightings then is Florida um, Oregon and then uh, Ohio round up the top five um, and, and I think a lot of this is too that the more people cite report them in a certain state the more people feel free to report their sightings so I think a lot of it has to do with with uh, uh, human behavior you know nobody wants to be the first volunteer but when somebody else raises their hand or two or three, and then all of a sudden, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go, do I'll do it, I'll do it. So, yeah, um, I think that's got a lot to do with it. But in fact, they're in every state. Uh, Nebraska, I think, only has like nine or twelve sightings. Well, I think I'm sure they've been spotted more than that. But there's a certain swath in the central United States where there aren't too many sightings, where there isn't a lot of water, um, or it's not real mountainous. There's not so many sightings, but they're still sighted there, but just not as much. What do you think, if you were going to say one or two things you have here is the most compelling evidence that Bigfoot exists? Uh, for, to me, it's always still going to be witness interviews. Okay. Uh, and from the eyewitnesses, because you get to a certain age when you can tell when somebody's when somebody's being dishonest or deceit, and you don't you don't pick it up on an email or a, in a book. Um, but when the person's standing in front of you, you can look them dead in the eyes. Um, to me, that's one of the best. It is still the best lie detector. And that's why we have Mike Woolley in here, uh, the recording of him talking about his encounter with two Bigfoots while he was hunting in Louisiana back in the mid-'80s. Um, so that, that's probably one of my favorite things because people watch that, and they can just tell that this guy is knows no reason for him to be lying. So that's still one of my favorite ones. Uh, probably the life-size display of the Ape Canyon incident also. You know, we hear the story about the uh, f- f- five guys who were descended upon by a group of Sasquatches in 1924, but that's the biggest display we have here is the inside of the cabin with the Bigfoots busting in. Um, so I think that instills, in the, and you can hear the sounds on the headphones of what it would be like to be inside the cabin when that was happening. Now, you have to keep in mind, people do send us recordings of strange things yes. uh, that recorded. And a lot of times it could be uh, an owl. Uh, sometimes, and panthers make terrible screaming sounds in the woods. Vixens, uh, foxes, they make terrifying screeching sounds in the woods as well. But usually when you hear that, when you're a seasoned outdoorsman, you can tell it's coming from a small animal. Even if it's loud, you can tell you can tell it's coming from a small set of lungs. Um, but these, these things, I've never heard them, but I've talked to people that have heard them make sounds in the woods, and they say it's so loud, it's so powerful, it vibrates your whole body. Uh, you know it's coming from a gigantic animal. So, and, and they don't all make the same sounds. Uh, sometimes it's whooping, sometimes it's whistling, 
it's clicking, sounds like wood knocks, sounds like two rocks getting clanked together. Sometimes it's a, it's a grunt. Sometimes it's a, a very deep, low guttural growl that vibrates your whole body. And then there's probably seven or eight different kinds of screams they make. So yeah, they, they have a way of making themselves known. And I think a lot of times they'll, they'll use that to get rid of you without having to show themselves to you. Uh, a lot of rocks being thrown, branches, acorns at you, they creep you out. And they make you move like you're fishing and then he wants to get in that area. They'll throw rocks in the water in front of you and make you move out because they know how to get rid of you without actually showing themselves. They want to make you leave, but they don't want you to leave and come back with friends. They just want you to leave. So that's uh, they use little things like that to make you move on, but you probably won't come back. So they're very much like humans in the fact that 95% um, of the humans you meet are not going to hurt you. Yeah. Um, some are very friendly and just like these things some have a, like a real affection for us they help us when we're lost they save children in the woods um, I've talked to there's a lawyer in Ohio that actually came out after he retired from the bar that said a big female had rescued him when he was lost in the woods and actually brought him back to camp and was so worried about him wandering off and put a big log on him so hold him he was a little toddler to hold him down so until his parents come back to the campsite but unfortunately, like humans, there are some bad elements in there. And uh, you can just imagine what an eight-foot animal that, uh, that's faster than, a, you know, they could run 35, 40, 45, 50 miles an hour. And it's like stealthy in the wood. You can imagine what kind of damage something, oh. just one of those could do, let alone a hundred of them. Yeah. So um, we, tend to, we tend to want to make, is it, is it good or bad? When in fact, most of them, it's, it's different shades of good and bad. But, uh, the large majority of these things really don't want anything to do with us. Uh, and uh, most of them will just walk away. They actually get disgusted with themselves when they, when they realize when a, a human has seen them. But uh, I'd be a liar if I said that there's a, not a tiny percentage of them that do not like us. Is there any estimates of how many what the population could be? Is there any feeling about that? So the bear biologists have uh, have come forward to say that they're anywhere between on the to have a viable breeding population, a minimum of thirty five hundred up to ten thousand in North America. Okay. So how accurate that number is, I don't know, but it sounds like a pretty good number to me. So uh, when you try to tell people that there's giant families of giants wandering the woods, who wants to think that? Especially hunters that feel at ease in the woods. Do they want to think that there's yeah. a 10 foot giant up there they can reach and snatch them right out of a tree stand if they so choose to? And it's too disturbing, it's too frightening. For every hunter that's come in here to, to tell me that uh, there's no way these things are real because I've been in the woods my whole life, I've met two guys that have told me that they've had one walk up under their stand, walk up to their stand, walk past them when they were hunting. So for everyone that tells me that they that they can't be real, I've got two hunters that tell me that they are because they've watched I them. Do, I do remember when we were here last year, and I'm not sure if it was a video or a tape, but of the military, the helicopter had crashed mm -hmm. and they went into the woods. I don't know exactly where it was. Mm -hmm. Where was that? So that was just north of, um, of uh, what is it, just north of, um, of so many towns here. 
in Georgia. Not to oh, Austin, it in, was it in Georgia? Oh, it's in Georgia. It's okay, only about okay. 40 miles from here. And there's a plaque up there from where the helicopter crashed, Dawsonville. So it's just north of oh, Dawsonville. Dawsonville. Yeah. And uh, it's actually difficult to find. I've actually tried to find somebody to take me out there to show me the plaque where it happened. But the actual crash in it itself didn't have anything to do with Bigfoot. It's the smell of the burning bodies actually brought three Bigfoots in. So that story was submitted to the BFRO back in the mid-2000s. And um, since then, somebody came out and said, I've read that and it's not true. But then I've had two people come in here whose husbands that live in Georgia, whose husbands were at the... Uh, crash at, site? At, no, they weren't at the crash site. They were at the base okay. when the guys came back to the crash site and they were talking about it and they were all told to shut up and stop talking about it. So that's why I included it because in my mind, it has not been debunked. Uh, not when two people come in here, two wives uh, have told me that they, their husbands were there and they told them about it. So basically, the helicopter crash, they sent in, I don't know, three or four individual mm -hmm. military men to go find, see if there were any survivors. Right. When they got there, they saw the Bigfoot yep. family, I think, there at the crash site going through. They smelled the bodies, right. dragging some stuff off. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there were bodies or parts. Mm -hmm. or They were pulling the bodies out, yeah. They were pulling the bodies out. Yep. And they opened fire on them, and then they yeah. stayed up all night after they... After the creatures had run into the forest in the darkness, they had built the fire up really high and stayed up all night until the uh, the extraction team came in to remove the bodies the next day. Wow. I think I think they've always been here. Um, um, I, I, I'm in contact with, uh, and I follow a lot of research in Australia, and there's this continent that sheared off um, Asia, what, 250 million years ago? Oh, I didn't know Australia. Yeah, Australia, they have the Yowie there. And uh, so okay. lots of great reports are there, uh, and they've, you know, they've, uh, even though the continent is largely undeveloped, uh, the, I think the oldest living skeletons ever found, I think they just found a couple that, one or two that were 50,000 years old, but most of them are only 2,000 years old. So okay. humankind is relatively new to Australia. So, I mean, how did these things get there? How did these giant humans get there, families of them? They've been spotted all over Australia, so the land bridge thing only gets you so far. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know how they got here. I, I have my theories. But. So when the first teeth, so Gigantopithecus, yeah, the, the teeth and the some jaw fragments were discovered, had been discovered in caves in the China, Vietnam, and I think Russia as well. And um, we, we've only got enough to put together a small portion of a jaw and then a few hundred teeth fossilized teeth and when you look at the when you look at the image that the uh, scientists have put forth of Gigantopithecus what you have is a giant ape because when they found the teeth they said well this must be some sort of giant ape so what you when you're looking at is a quadruped ape but in fact scientists have no idea what it looked like so we've already got where I have the impression that this, these teeth belong to a giant ape when they, it's just as likely that they belong to a giant upright 10 foot hairy ape man. So, um, um, so it's possible that these things already exist in our fossil record, but for some reason, yeah, we're not supposed to know about them. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that every native, every single native American tribe had their own name for these creatures. Yeah. It's, it's hard to it's hard to imagine that they were all had their own imaginary 
giant wild man in the woods. And when you go back to read the newspapers in the 1800s, early 1900s, there's just hundreds of newspaper reports of people spotting these things, um, taking cows and chickens. This is well before the 1950s. Um, when the, the, the Jerry Crews discovered the first footprints, photographed him, and the name Bigfoot was coined by a newspaper man. Well, well the reports of these things go way, way before that. In fact, these things were seen way back. I think the first uh, Endangered Species Act was enacted back in 1960, but our, the, the National Forest Service, I don't think, was, was actually, I'm trying to remember the date it was, but the sightings and the suppression of these things started way back before the Forest Service yeah. was ever established. So whatever the secret behind these things are predates our government and, and uh, the Forest Service. So for whatever reason that there, we're not allowed to know about these, in my opinion, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the forest. Uh, the thing is something else. In reality, when people come in here and they, and, uh, and they tell me that they saw Bigfoot, but their father or mother don't believe them or their wife doesn't believe them, it's really a microcosm of the human mind is that when you introduce very disturbing information to somebody and it, it conflicts with their belief system, they are going to automatically reject it. And it has no direct, uh, that doesn't, doesn't mean that you're not a good person. They don't believe you, but you're giving them information they don't want. I've been a private investigator also for 31 years. Mm -hmm. They're facts, and they're just too many facts, and too many things that are said. In a court of law, someone could be convicted of murder with all the evidence you have, right? so to speak, and all the evidence we have of so many different people, so many different walks of life, so many sightings. If it's not that, then I would say to someone, well, then what is it? Mm -hmm. Give me another explanation. Sure. All these people aren't hallucinating when they're out there. Right. So. Yeah, we're fortunate enough we get a lot of military, retired and current military, and we get a lot of law enforcement in here that yes. have told us about their settings. And it's, this, it's the same thing. I already know that they're not going to go, you know, I don't get their address and their badge number. I, I, I know they have a, they have a, a reputation to uh, protect. So well, we take the sightings, we take the story, and I don't blame them for uh, not wanting to come forth. But when people ask that question, like you just said, you know, how come they don't come forward and say that UFOs are real? Well, they haven't, they haven't done enough research to realize that uh, the reason that they're never going to disclose UFOs or Bigfoots is not because of the subject matter, but what's behind that subject matter, what is operating behind the scenes. Uh, so if, if, if the uh, authorities admitted that these creatures were real or that UFOs were real, then we, we may take the next step and want to know what's behind it, and that's what's the secret. I had, I had a, a, a nice guy, he uh, gave me this um, great comparison. He says, when people keep asking, why didn't you get it on film? He said, it's like trying to film your own car accident. Is that when you see this thing, thing unfolding in front of you, you're in sheer panic mode. You are not thinking about grabbing your phone to film it. It's approved to everybody. You're not worried about if anybody believes you. You're just trying to live through the moment. Yes. And uh, you're just overcome with fear, stress, and you can have a camera in your hand and still not take a picture of it. Yeah. Some of my best friends, Lori Wade, she organizes all the expeditions in the North Georgia area for the Bigfoot Field Research Organization. Oh, okay. So there's, I know there's two in October up here, 
And that's just with the BFRO. There's there's other private expeditions that go on. I've been on many uh, organized expeditions with the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, and I've been on way more private expeditions. My, myself, my wife, and a couple of friends, or just me and my wife, will go out and put camera traps out along creek beds uh, where I know there's crawfish and food. Uh, sometimes we'll go out to, to the tops of mountains where people record screaming and we'll hang recorders up there that'll hang for a month or two. They just turn on at certain times of the night and shut back off, battery backups. So, But, but the, the days of my expeditions are, I'll still go on a few, Yeah. but the good, the stuff I'm looking for just walks in the door here. Um, I know they're real, I know they cross roads, I know they hide behind trees. I've seen two in Alva, Florida. So my continued um, experience or my continued uh, expeditions are, just don't make a lot of sense to me because you're, you only get to a point where you're like a really good camper because not a whole lot normally happens on expeditions. But when people can come in here and tell me that one crawled through their window, uh, one was looking at them when they were a child, they saw one up on the roof of their house, it was stomping around, it banged out. So the, like, I get so much good information that just walk, it's, it behooves me yeah. in my studies to be here to take information than it does to be out there banging on trees hoping that I hear or see something. Yeah. A lot of people uh, that, that trade or gift these creatures, these creatures will gift things back to them. So what you have in this display cases, what you might find left in place of your food. If you have- So the creature will actually that people will leave food out, yeah, and then they will leave something for them for a gift, right? Wow, yeah, that's why we know it's a sentient thinking being, is because um, once they like you and they take your food, they'll start leaving you things. Sometimes it's a something you lost two years ago, sometimes it's a shiny piece of metal that to them has some kind of value, and they'll give that to you. Uh, and of course, anytime people want to leave food for them, we always tell them to not leave them like an entire meal. You just want to leave them a treat. And it seems like sweet bread products are the treat they really enjoy. Cinnamon buns, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Um, so anything sweet, basic bread, is one of those things that they enjoy. I may be a Bigfoot. Yeah, yeah. right. My, that's one of my <laughs> like weaknesses. But it's something butter. they can get in the wild. David, thank you so much. You're welcome, my friend. I mean, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, thanks. And I wanted to meet the man behind.